Maybe uh, during this uh, ramp up to Thanksgiving on Thursday, you'll be playing that song in your head. I know I probably will be, you know, doing that, uh, which is the cool thing about listening to uh, church music uh, on Sunday. It kind of gives you a playlist uh, to go on. And, of course, I have two services uh, that are very different. One is, uh, of course, uh, uh, traditions, and the other one, uh, the bridge. And so I have all kinds of different music playing in my head. Uh, but it's always good because it's centered on the Lord, and it helps you to... <clears throat> this, is, <clears throat> this is why I'm not in the choir. Um, it, it, it helps you to really focus on uh, and stay in tune with him. And I think that's uh, always a good thing, especially as we think about our calling in the life that we're called to live uh, in this world until the Lord comes and everything about uh, his redemptive purpose is made complete. Uh, There's always going to be tensions that we have between the world that we live in and, and the kingdom that we're called to thrive in. And the reality of that kingdom uh, is invisible, yet the characteristics just kind of flow through our lives uh, in terms of blessings for others, whether it's through giving uh, in, in a variety of ways, shoeboxes or um, buying a pie and giving it away, uh, or doing something uh, that is meaningful for another person that is in the name of the Lord. Not to mention the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which Paul describes as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and and gossip and (laughs) self-control. I messed up, didn't I? Yeah, gossip. Yeah. One thing I know about this church, you never gossip about anybody because you always find somebody's related to somebody else in some way, and it just doesn't work. So gossip really is, there's a built-in mechanism to keep us from doing that. But uh, that said, uh, God also has another built-in uh, mechanism in our lives to help us to thrive in him, and that's his spirit, uh, which is the gift of the church. But if you go back in time to uh, the Old Testament, uh, several hundred years before Jesus, you'll find that um, uh, there weren't a lot of people who were faithful to God's calling. And they weren't embodying the characteristics that he wanted to see in all of his people so that he could take pleasure in seeing people made in his image who were also reflecting his character and his qualities. Uh, and it led ultimately for the, the people of God to be taken captivity so that they could sort of get a wake-up call. And in the process of being taken, uh, there was a godly man named Daniel who we've been talking about for about uh, five weeks now. And as we've looked at his life, we've seen somebody who's just kept his heart in tune with the Lord the whole time. And there are uh, several things that happened in the book of Daniel that we didn't cover. uh, But the few that we did, I hope, are helpful for you uh, in thriving in the environment that we live in. Now, oddly enough, uh, there happened to be a national election occur during the time of going through the book of Daniel. And for some of you, I know it helped you to process uh, what was happening on the political landscape because invariably it will have uh, some impact on our lives, whether you have uh, one person or another in office. And if you're like me, I like what the the one pastor said about the election. He said, it's really like uh, uh, two people, a uh, married couple, Bill uh, or uh, Donald Trump and, uh, and, and Hillary uh, Clinton, they're, they're, they're fighting over a divorce for who gets the children. And uh, the children are saying, we don't want either parent, we want to stay with grandma. Um, <laughs> And, you know, so here we are. 
And I guess I've taken that sentiment that some people might have, and I've said, uh, we just want to make sure that whoever gets it, that we're actually spending time, not with Grandma, but actually with, with our Father in heaven, God. And God is really the voice of reason in everything that's happening in our culture. As crazy and maddening as it is, uh, we find that he is our refuge and he is our foundation and our source of wisdom and strength and our true north. And Daniel, in his experience, almost paralleled uh, what, what we went through. And as we've looked at the book, we've taken some consolation in knowing that despite everything that is happening around us, and to us, God is faithful and he will take care of us. And if you don't believe me, I just want to uh, maybe prompt a few images in your mind from Daniel. When I say the book of Daniel, what picture uh, comes, to, comes to mind? What do you think of? What pops into your head? Uh, uh, just a, anything. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel went into the den. Lion ate Daniel. And was, no. No, you read the story, didn't you? Yeah, Lion just says, Daniel, you're all right with me. And that doesn't happen except God being in the picture. Any other pictures from, from there? Daniel praying in the window towards uh, Jerusalem three times a day. And it was his way of seeing God morning noon and evening. I'm putting you first. I'm staying in tune with you because it's a crazy world out there. It's a beautiful image of a person staying tuned to God's will and purpose in a place where you wonder, God, sometimes are you really there? And he knew that he was. One more image from Daniel that you can think of. Oh, the writing on the wall. Yeah. If you, if you ever uh, read through um, uh, the middle part of the book of Daniel, you'll see uh, some, uh, a setting where a king who is not Nebuchadnezzar is there, just totally into himself, and everyone around him is there to reinforce that image of himself. And there's some handwriting on the wall, which is spooky, and no one can really understand it except, of course, somebody who's tuned into God, like, um, like Daniel and his team of faithful people. And as they interpreted it, uh, it became obvious that uh, it was a bad message for a bad king. All right, there's a few other images, but we won't go into it because what I want you to do is just uh, take away uh, from this message uh, uh, really uh, uh, something that um, the writer of Hebrews, when he looked back on what they experienced summarized uh, Daniel's experience and lumped it in with a whole bunch of other faithful people in order to make a point. And uh, I just want to go through that passage in Hebrews 11, 32 through 40 uh, real quickly if we could. Um, you can look at it in your Bibles or just what I've got on the screen. I've kind of condensed it a little bit, but uh, let me just read this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, uh, Barak, I'm not sure how to pronounce it now. Uh, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, meaning Daniel and Jeremiah and, and others uh, who uh, parallel uh, this, experience, this uh, Nineveh experience, who through faith conquered kingdoms, 
administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. You're right, Jackie. Okay. Um, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses, weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Now let's jump a little bit ahead to some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. Nasty stuff. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what has been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So all of a sudden, the whole collection of people that stood faithfully for God are summarized in part of this chapter so that the idea of our faithfulness compared to their faithfulness uh, could be kept in perspective. When you look at the trials that they went through and yet remain tuned into God, it's meant to encourage us in our faith that no matter what we are going through, we're not alone. And I didn't mention that uh, the writer of Hebrews also underscored the fact that there is no test that we've gone through that Jesus himself has not all already uh, been, been proven through. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm comforted in that, that I worship a God who has enough credibility to immerse himself into the world that I live in and experience, and in such a way that he also faced all of these things, and yet through the strength of his Father, was able to overcome at every turn. And we worship that kind of a God with the assurance that as we go through things, he's going to be faithful to us, just like he was faithful to his son, to Daniel, to Jeremiah, to Jephthah, to Barak, to uh, all of the others. And all of that being said, God has something in mind for us, not just in that moment or the moment you and I are going through, but in a moment that he's looking forward to. And that is when everything that is broken, everything that is not right, everything that really is affected by evil is going to be made right or perfect. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day when the type of, the, the type of insanity and craziness and dysfunctionality and evil and, and things that just press in on us and make life not what it should be. I look forward to a day when that's all settled and resolved. And so did Daniel. That was so driving in his life that he knew for now his job was not only to be faithful, but to reflect God's character and purpose to people that were completely oblivious to the type of God that the Hebrews worshipped, oblivious to the, the love and generosity of heart that he had, to people who only knew darkness, who only knew tyranny, who only knew when they woke up each day that their hands were at the mercy of a king who just changed his mind all the time. And in that 
period of great anxiety and worry and fear, Daniel said, there's a better way. But the breakdown occurs when you and I don't represent that better way to the people that God puts into our world, just like he put some people, powerful people, even Nebuchadnezzar, into his world. So here's the question for the message today. What does God want from us? Now, many of you are in the room, I think because God has pulled you in here. Uh, He's showing you uh, a vision of himself, hopefully through us, through the message, through his spirit. And you're saying, wow, God is great. God is wonderful. God loves me even though I'm not perfect. And so do other people. And I can't even begin to describe how much God loves each of you. But I also want you to know that it doesn't end there. He says, while that is the case, I'm also locked in on people who are lost. And if you have children and you've ever lost one in a mall, in a, in a, uh, an amusement park, in a crowd, and you've got the other children with you, are you thinking about the children that are with you? Or are you thinking about the kid that has disappeared? Now, maybe you're thinking, yeah, you know, that one, don't know. But chances are, something inside of you said, no, I'm, I'm, I am on it. I am very, uh, very much all about that lost child. And if you see on milk cartons or on the board at Walmart or in different places, just the fact that people are holding out hope that their lost child will return. In very much the same sense, God is looking at everyone that is not close to him and he's saying, oh, I want them back. I want them to know me and know my love for them and the family that I have uh, called them to be a part of. And I think the best way sometimes is to just go back to Jesus' style of talking about things in a way that, that maybe, may, maybe, maybe resonates with us. What does God want from us? Well, in those verses that we read, I think there is something. But for now, I want to I look at a couple of things uh, real quickly. I want to look at a picture. Now, if you ever sit on uh, Lincoln Avenue and you're trying to go to South Lincoln Avenue and all of a sudden you see this. Anybody ever seen this scene? It's a boxcar with graffiti, which I guess if you have to wait, at least it's colorful. And if you're like me, you're looking at the graffiti and you're saying, now what does that mean? What does that even say? And my mind is just churning, trying to figure out what the meaning is behind the graffiti. And to this day, I have to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I, it, the trains must be coming from another planet because uh, they're saying things that I don't think are uh, representative of any language that I'm familiar with. And yet, as I look at them, I'm trying to make sense of why those words are on there, why they're so colorfully uh, uh, displayed and why so many people feel like trains are the ultimate palette for expression. 
Now, graffiti is something that isn't new to modern uh, thinkers or people or experiences. It does go way back. I mean, if you go back to Pompeii, which was a city that was destroyed by, by a volcano, uh, that very quickly it was just there, and then all of a sudden it was just piled on with tons of ash. And uh, they've uh, unearthed all of the things in Pompeii and recovered essentially what a city looked like that just hit the pause button. And one of them is uh, uh, just the fact that all over the city is all this graffiti uh, that people just on the walls everywhere, I guess they just had a lot of artists who were frustrated and needed to get, uh, get it out of their system. They were expressing imagery. And one of them was uh, the icons of their, their heroes, whether uh, you are in that time uh, thinking about the athletes of the day who were gladiators, or maybe you're thinking about football players today or something, there's always this sense of larger-than-life heroic characters, and you see that in the graffiti in Pompeii. And I'm not going to tell you don't look at the other graffiti in Pompeii, because now you're going to probably go look at it, uh, because some of it is not really what I call suitable for church. And we'll move on from there. Now, there's other graffiti that I saw, that I saw growing up as a kid, and I saw this on bridges a lot in Illinois, and it was this. Anybody ever see that? <laughs> Okay, I for the life of me never knew what that meant, and I don't know that it's really clear. Uh, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, all I can say is, well, okay, Kilroy's been pretty busy because he's gotten pretty much everywhere. Uh, so that is on the World War II monument in Washington, uh, D.C., and uh, I guess uh, uh, it's, just, it's not so much what it means as the fact that uh, it showed up. And so that one has its own distinctive interpretation. But the one that I, I, I really want to focus on today is one that I think has elements to it that gets our imagination going a little bit uh, for us. Because I'm, if I'm asking the question, what does God want from us, um, this picture may help. Let's go ahead and move on. This is in uh, Georgetown in Panyang, Malaysia. And it's a picture, I don't know if you can see it that well or not, but it's, it's a bicycle. Two kids riding the bicycle. But what's so interesting about it is the fact that it's, it's a painting that has overlapping it an actual physical bicycle, which makes me wonder what would happen if you took that painting and you changed it a little bit to make it more dynamic. And if you look at the characteristics of the bicycle, uh, maybe there's some analogies that we can make with our own experience. When you look at that bicycle... Let me just do, let me just play psychologist for a minute. What do you think of? What's, what just pops into your head? Nothing? Family? Okay, so you got a little sister, perhaps, or maybe a brother, can't really tell for sure, riding behind a sister who's smiling, the brother's crying. I don't know if that's a sadistic smile or a smile of joy. Uh, if you've had siblings, you know about sibling rivalry. It could be very much somebody's not playing fair. Or it could be somebody showing something, somebody else younger something that eventually they'll say, yeah, scary at first, but I'm glad you brought me along for the ride. And what, what else? Let's, let's just 
let's just look at a, a couple other things. What's a little different about this thing? No, her legs aren't long enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how is this bike even going? Yeah. Anything else? There's a lot of things about this picture that just don't make any sense. But if you look at it, maybe through the eyes of faith, they might. And if you look at the experience of Daniel, he's traveling along with God through time. And the imagery is very dynamic because there is a timetable of 70 years that he's traveling through that Jeremiah talks about as well. And as he's going through this, God is showing up and doing things in his life that is helping him along the way that just don't make any sense. And as a believer, God is showing up in our lives and helping us along the way. And oftentimes, we're asking God, are you there? Are you going to help out? And when he does, you're like, oh, wow, you've been there the whole time. You've been faithful. And let's say that if we looked at the bike as a vehicle of transportation, and you looked at the people on the bike as people who are along for the ride, doing what they are wanting to do, maybe the second one under duress, and as they're along for the ride, they are beginning to enjoy the ride, and as they're enjoying the ride, some things come up. And if we looked at Daniel, we might imagine this slide here. Somebody's getting in the way of the ride, and that would be Nebuchadnezzar initially, because he said, I'm shutting it down. I'm taking you captive. Or it could be the wise men and the priests who said, we don't like Daniel, we don't like Shadrach, we don't like Amenigo, or any of those other people that are trying to represent God because, well, fact is, there's something special about them and we're threatened by them. And we want to shut them down. We want to throw them into lion's dens. We want to put them in a fiery furnace. We want to make sure that they can't move forward. Yet, they continued to move forward, no matter who got in the way. And behind them is somebody, an invisible hand, pushing them forward. And the invisible hand wins. Let's do another, another slide. Now there's maybe us in the church going forward. And something or someone is holding us back. And I could draw parallels between Daniel and the church and his experience. Many things were holding him back. But within those constraints, he said, I'm going to be faithful. And you'll notice those girls are not looking back. They're not even saying, I'm going to pay attention to what's holding me back. They just keep on moving forward. And at the end of the day, this guy can't hold him back. Now, you, you could have looked at it and saw something different. And that is what? Okay. Well, never mind. Next one. Let me ask you. Because this is a little bit of an exercise for us. This is a hands-on workshop on how to live out our faith. What do you see happening here? Naturally, we have the bike scene, but we also have a girl on the ground grabbing after the bike. 
What is she saying? Help me. And what's the bike doing? Blissfully looking forward and saying, ain't got time for that. And maybe in another angle, God is saying to us, there are all kinds of people around you saying, help me. But you're too busy doing what you're doing. Another way to look at this graffiti is like this. Um, And that's this guy. He's obviously either very athletic and just pushing these guys like mad. Or he's just a, he's found the secret to defying gravity. He wants on the bike. (laughs) Please, 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 please let me on the bike. Should they let him on? Looks like there's actually room. Barely. Maybe if he got on, maybe if he got on, his legs are long enough to pedal, right? And they could go even faster, right? When God called the church into being, just like when he called Jesus into being, the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Or in the Holy Spirit came upon the church and gave birth to the church. And when a believer comes up out of the baptismal waters, the Holy Spirit is, is promised to come into the life of a believer. Now, I don't want to split hairs here, but I just want to say that that's just kind of the pattern. Only to say that God has enabled you and I to ride the bike better if we allow his spirit to bring life and energy to it. So there's another facet of this graffiti. Here's, a, here's another picture. And this guy could be doing one of two things. He could be pushing, or he could be holding on. What do you think? Pushing, raise your hand. Holding on, raise your hand. Not sure, are you? One thing that I know about the church, that I know about Daniel, is that there are things that come into our lives that are painful. There are things that come into our lives that don't make any sense. There are things that God allows us to go through that cause us to wonder, God, are you really there? And we're asking, is that either hurtful or helpful? And oftentimes, if God allows it, He will also give us the ability to go through it. Just like three men in a fiery furnace. Just like one man in a den. Stuff comes our way. It's frightening. It's overwhelming. It just causes us to maybe want to give up. And God says, don't be too hasty here. Because this may not make any sense from your point of view. But I want you to stick with me and be faithful because I'll show you actually that I'll work this together for good. Let's do another image. And this is trying to put another kid on the bicycle. I like that image. Reminds me of what happens in our choir. 
People try to tack little kids into the choir as well. Always trying to add uh, little people. Silly Church just redid a whole kids wing. Why? Because they want to add little people to the adventure. The bike finally stopped and waited for the little people. Yeah, I like that. Let's do a couple more and then we're going to wrap it up. This is what I like. Some, not some bigger people who say, we're, along, we're, we're, we're right there with you. And these are young people just trying to figure it out. And they're like, what they're doing is cool. We want to be a part of it. And one thing that I like about our church is that we, we already get kids serving at that age. Working, you know, with sound, serving throughout the whole building. And it's because we just want them naturally to do what we do. Not to say when you get to be a certain age, then you can join us for big people church. But rather, church already starts with the little people. And it's just, they just grow organically like we all do into who we are called to be. Let's look at, uh, at this one. Now there's a possibility people misunderstand what we do. Or there's a possibility that what we do doesn't reflect so well on who we are. So here we have what we thought were two innocent little kids going for a joyride, but actually they're part of a larger ring of backpack thieves, and uh, they're trying to make a getaway. And the gal's saying, I just thought you were innocent, beautiful little kids, having fun. Next thing you know, my backpack's gone, and you're heading down the road. You hypocrites. And that's certainly who God says he doesn't want us to be, but rather faithful to everything that is true about his character and his love and his purpose in our lives. Here's the last one that I, I just kind of like. Um, and it's this one. I'm not sure how they got that other than this kid obviously has very great gra- anti-gravitational shoes on that enable him to do that. But Really, this is, this is kind of where Daniel was. He was just a little bit off the ground, always in a spirit of focusing on the Lord. And because of that, he was sort of in the situation, but not fully taken over by the situation. He was influencing the situation by his faithfulness, but also by the prayers that he was praying on behalf of all people, crazy Nebuchadnezzar, and on down the line, hoping that some way, somehow, God would use any and every opportunity to help them to see how good God is and how much he loves them. So on the last slide, what do you see when you see two kids on the bike? And a lot of times when we look at art, it really does change our perspective in a way that nothing else can. That's the beauty of art. And other times when we look at art and we say something about it, it's a projection of what we are thinking in the moment. 
And God wants our thoughts and our heart and our mind and our behavior and everything about us to all be aligned in such a way that no matter what any of those expressions are, internally or externally, they are all resonant with God. When people see us, they see like an angled mirror, a reflection back to God. And when I see that bike with those two little kids on it, I think a lot of happy thoughts. But I also think those two kids aren't doing it alone. They're doing it together. And as we closed out that passage in Hebrews, it said this. What does God want from us? Since God planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God looks at us, not just me individually. He looks at us. And he says, I want to make all things new. I want to bring about my presence and my character and my influence on everything so that everything can be transformed into the likeness of Christ. What does God want from us? He just wants us to be faithful to him. And as we are, he'll start working through us in ways that reflect what's important. And I don't know how God's working in your life right now, but if there have been things that he's been sort of nagging you with, maybe that's his way of saying, I want you to pay attention to this. Or maybe God's saying, you know, you're just this far from being part of my family, and I want you to just take another step. And if that's where you're at, then I would just ask you to act on that impulse because God loves us where we are, but he loves us enough to move us forward to where we need to be.